and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. morning everyone. Hello. Um, so I want to talk this morning a little about an enormous topic because I want to talk a little bit about truth. Now it's not the first time we've talked about it here and it definitely won't be the last because it's absolutely huge <laughs> but um, it's the topic I couldn't shake this week so I'm going to go with it. Um, but last week I showed you a picture of an iceberg. I don't know whether it's, I think we've got it. And um, we talked about how, not last week, two weeks ago, we talked about how actually there can be so much on the surface, but then there's often a huge amount of things under the surface that is going without being said, that's the stuff we're going to hit into. So I want to be very upfront at the start this morning and just tell you things that, um, um, I want to tell you the things that might be going on as well as the things I'm saying so that you know them. So the first thing that um, you need to be aware of probably is that it's been multiple times in my life where I have fallen for lies and I have let things lie. And I've learned the hard way, the painful way, and I have the wounds and scars to go with it. And I can't say that they won't leak into what I'm going to say. Um, so I acknowledge that. And I'm just going to tell you it's there. But that either makes me not trustworthy because I believe those lies or it means I might have some insight on how possible it is to be misled and the dangers of staying silent for a long time. And one thing I have learned is to take my time to think things through as a result of this. And so I make no apology that sometimes I need time, um, time to form full conclusions about things, which then often by the time you get there, something else has changed and you might need to think again. Um, and we can be very quick to form judgments that usually confirm what we already think. So I am quite possibly out of my depth and there will be gaps, but shouldn't, be the quest, shouldn't the quest be to get out of our current depth because perhaps then we'll see the iceberg beneath our current line of sight. So I'm going to knowingly go out of my depth and I'm going to see where we get to, but I'm just, I'm just owning it up front. And um, I do think we can get to somewhere great this morning that will help you to think in the same way this has made me think all week. So in the clip you've just seen from the invention of lying, the definition of the truth is very much that people are going to say exactly what they think unfiltered. And we can associate telling our truth with telling the truth. But our truth is not always the truth. Um, I once had someone very unhappy with me because I looked at them a assertive way because of information I'd found out about them. Um, I didn't because I didn't know the information. <laughs> I, really, I really didn't know. 
but she didn't believe me because her truth was that I did. It was not the truth because I didn't. Now, I'm deliberately using an example like that because it's the stuff we have to navigate all the time because we have a perception of our own certainty about everyone else. And that example sounds very small, but actually this relationship broke down over something that did not even happen, but for her, it was the truth. Now, here's what I'm going to own up to today, because I reflected on this. She was right about something. I had actually changed my attitude towards her, not for the reason she said I did, but for another one. Because at the time, she wanted me to invest very heavily in the problems she was going through at that time. But I was also struggling with something else. And I needed to invest my time somewhere else. And in withholding something I would normally give, she clocked that something was different about me towards her. Because it was. Because I was different. And that meant that I missed the details she would have assumed I would know if I was giving her my usual level of investment. So she didn't get the reason right, but she did clock something of the truth. I had shifted and she intuitively knew it. She just didn't read it right as to why, so she formed a version of the truth. Now, truth has a sound. And we might always be able to name it, but it is tangible when we tune into it. But we should all be aware of filling in the blanks. Because often we may be onto something we just can't perhaps name it fully. We're all right so far. I think I nearly am all right so far as well. <laughs> so if we cannot rely on our individual, my truth, to be the truth, where the heck do we start? Well, we're in church, so I'm going to go straight for the big one. Are you ready? <sighs> Brace yourselves. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So let's start by assuming that is truth with a capital T. Here's the first challenge. For that to be applied truth in my life or your life, we have to be very well acquainted with Jesus and all of his I am-ness, both then in context and now. And the assumption we can make is that the Jesus we relate to is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. But if the Jesus concept I hold is flawed, any application of Jesus' truth in my life will be flawed. It's just another version of my truth with Jesus' face on it. And any perceived certainty around Jesus could well mean that we apply way, truth, and life in ways that are not way, truth, and life. So if Jesus is not who we believe he is, we can't trust the way we're heading, the truth we're believing, and the life choices we're making. Does it matter? <laughs> Love you, Georgia. It's just love you. If the version of Jesus, of God, of the divine works for me, does it matter whether it's truth or not? Because it works for me. Um, that's a really big question. Um, all I'm going to tell you is that it really does matter to me because I'm not interested in finding myself in a delusion with at least without at least actively trying to avoid being in one because I'll mislead myself and others. And I've done that. Um, I at least have to allow some scrutiny of it now. 
knowing that I've done it in the past, I can't then think I'm not in a position where I could do it again. And if you're someone who also believes things now that you did not believe then, you have to acknowledge that you might need some checking of what you believe now too, because that's just wisdom. And if it stands up to that scrutiny, great. And if it doesn't, you'll know. Some of it, some of you say, well, I don't hold to the notion that Jesus' story is the truth one. And there are many of you in here who, who haven't, weren't raised that way and you don't call it that. Then what do you hold as the truth story in your life? And please, will you apply the same principle? If that is not who or what you believe it is, you can't trust that you're heading in the right way with the truth that you believe and the life choices you're making. But the reason why we let things lie is because we reason that it protects us or others from an enemy often. The lie is better, we tell ourselves, because it's for the greater good. In that song from Smallfoot, more like a rap than a song, wasn't it? It showed how the leader of that community had created truths that kept away a deeper truth that was tough to navigate and threatening. That was the solution to it. And I loved the lie, the line, so we let it lie. I just think that's such a wonderful pun because obviously we let it lie, not tell us the truth, but when we let things lie and don't tackle them, um, we do that, it is a lie. I'm reading at the minute, I've got two books on the go um, that I'm really enjoying dipping out in and out of and, and every time I, I read them, I'm finding something new. But the two books I've got on the go at the minute is one is called Reading Scripture Through Western Eyes and the other is the same authors, one of the same authors, and it's about reading it through individualist eyes rather than collective eyes. And it's really shedding a light for me on how I read things and probably dictating a little bit of what I'm bringing to you because it actually shows how we can miss so many things in what's going without being said. But I just want to share three examples of some of the things that came to me as I thought about this topic from, from my reading. The first one, there's an example where... Um, the guy teaches in America and he teaches in Indonesia. I used an example last time and it, it's a similar one. In Indonesia, um, where he was teaching, the students had a multiple choice questionnaire and they left some answers blank. And he couldn't believe this. He's like, well, when you've got a multiple choice questionnaire, you guess, you just guess. So he said to the students, why have you left it blank? Why have you not had a guess at the answer? And the student was horrified and said, why would I guess that's a lie? I would if I guess and I guess right, you will think I know that information and I don't. And that's a lie. Very different to the approach. I mean, I was a teacher and most teachers I know would say to students in exam, just have a guess, you might get it right. We're actually teaching them to claim knowledge they don't have, which again, really interesting how depending on your culture is what you consider truth or not truth and an integrity around that. In the second example... In more collective cultures and contexts, family honour is held with such value and weight that if a family member is wronged, if you forgive the person who wronged your family, you are dishonouring your family. Forgiveness would be the greatest insult. So if someone hurts someone in your tribe, and we all have those we call our own, the vast majority of us will be very hard-pressed to not have to work out how to accommodate them in the same way because we too sense a, a real dishonour. And if dishonour takes place and I do not acknowledge it or challenge it in the name of forgiveness, is that the sound of truth 
or am I letting some things lie? I'm greatly challenged by that. Um, final one. I just want to introduce you to two words to illustrate this example. There's a word called more, which is basically the essential or characteristic customs and conventions of a society or a community. And then there's another word you're going to come across in a minute so it's called zeitgeist. I love that. Is it zeitgeist? Whatever it is. The general intellectual, moral, and cultural climate of an era. Now, to me, this sounded very similar. So I looked up the root words, the etymology, and more is to do with morals and zeitgeist, zeitgeist, whatever it is, literally means time spirit in German. So in a nutshell, very simplistically, it's how we do things around here and how it feels. Now, here's an example, another example again. I thought, this is so challenging. Um, in the 18th century England and America, the theatre was a very popular place of education and entertainment for cultured members of society. But good Christians would not be caught dead there. It was a big fat no. It was considered morally corrosive because of some of the material that was going to be depicted when you went. It excited passions and therefore social disorder. People might get too many of their own feelings. So it was off limits for the faithful. But then what happened was preachers started to use this as a vehicle. The English evangelist George Whitman started using this theatrical style during the Great Awakening, which led to a great movement and theatre-style church seating was born. They capitalized on the appeal of the theater without engaging of the aspects of it they found questionable. Basically, they compromised. Such an interesting point of note for me in church life, because now sometimes it can be the case that if we are not lost in a sense of worship in a theatrical style building with a spiritual high, your church can't have it right. It can be seen that there's no presence of God. If we don't get passionate feelings in worship, we are somehow not connected to God. Since when? The truth about our standing and status before God has become linked to feeling his presence. I have sensed the presence of Jesus in the most deceptive form of escapism I've ever been in, and I have been bereft heartbroken in the greatest truth of my life. And the reverse is true for both of those. Because truth can have many emotions in our lives. The feeling or not feeling, absence of feeling, doesn't make it truth. So truth can be tied to time and place, and we're not exempt from that, and that would be foolish to ignore. And it can be time to feeling, tied to feelings or no feelings. And it can be tied to what I think is truth and what I what is truth? So we're in some right territory here, aren't we? I told you that it was going to be interesting. So let me just show you something that I think will help you see the, where we are in our time and place in a way that I think should at least make us think. So there's some slides to go with this bit. So I'm just going to show you the four stages of, of truth through history. It's always simplified, these things, and it's, it's, it's got to be when you're boiling down generations, but I'm going to start with looking at the pre-modern truth. Yeah, there we go. Truth as faith. So between 300 BC up to about 1600 AD, that's a long time. The idea that truth was a faith thing was the predominant 
feeling. It was revelation, transcendent, mythical, often tied to religion. Truth was something that was given to you. And the spirit of it, that zeitgeist thing, was the hope for redemption. If we submit to it with the receivers of it, we surrender to it. Truth was out there beyond our reach and had to be given to us. Now, what then happened is between 1600 and 1900, truth became something quite different. We got, on the next slide, truth as knowledge. All of a sudden, we could discover truth. It was earthly, empirical, rational. It could be found. And actually, it gave us great hope for progress, moldability, optimism, and the big one, control. Now, you can see, can't you, how the journey it goes on, but it doesn't stop there. In the 20th century, on the next slide, we get truth as a construct something that is basically put together through language and culture. It's relational. We have social constructs. It's actually to do with the truth that we can create. And the spirit of that becomes skepticism, irony, self-creation, and self-development. Truth is something we can build for ourselves. And then finally, from 1960 to the present time, we now have what's typically considered truth as a product. It's something that we literally can produce in a way that's formatted, consumer-based. Think of how much marketing it's sold. And the spirit of it is the things that are self-affirmation, profit, and the satisfaction of needs. Now, I'm going to give you an example. And again, I've just picked one because it'll just help hang your hat on this a little bit. So let's just take envir the environment as an example of, of how this journey can go. And it's not tied to time. Of course, we still have all of those things now, but there is a definite emphasis and leaning and a spirit of a generation. So if we take the environment as faith, if the environment is faith, anything that happens with the weather is given by God or a creator. So people would pray for crops. You would pray for crops. You would not know if you were going to get crops. You were reliant on God or God's for your harvest. Think about Noah's flood. That was God speaking about his displeasure or his pleasure with Noah. It was all something that was happening as a revelation outside of anything else. With knowledge, we learned how our world works scientifically. We know that the rain is not God, it's the rain clouds. Now, I know you could say behind the rain clouds, God made the rain clouds, etc. but you get my point. We know how it works, and we can put it in a defined, logical thing that can be taught. Now, as a construct, all of a sudden it becomes we're in charge. We'll forecast the weather and we'll plan our lives around it. We'll redirect the water into reservoirs. We'll recycle. We'll educate everyone to go green in all the ways that we can. We can we cre create this how we want this to work. We're somehow in charge of how this can work in our lives. Not the whole thing, but there's an element to which we say we can control some of this and we should control some of this. Now, in the last one, we get to be um, basically truth as a product. What that becomes is this. We are destroying our planet. You must do this. You must be convinced to do this. We will convince you through our roadblocks, our defacing of pictures, because the truth is a non-negotiable, and you've got to see it the way we see it. Now, can you hear the sound of changing truth through the ages? 
And no, no era has ever abandoned any type of this truth. They're all still there. But we are all affected by it. So which of these is the truth? Uh, which of those is the truth? I think alone they're all flawed. I think to just say everything's a given, is, it can't all just be, there you go. We have found some things, so we can be in charge of some things, and we must be convinced about some things, but take any in isolation, and we're going to become unstuck. Somehow or other, it's all got to go into the pot. I'm going to close by... I could have, honestly, you can imagine how big this topic is and how many things I'm not saying this morning. When I um, looked at podcasts out of interest to say, oh, I wonder what people say about truth, I stopped counting after 200 different podcast series about truth. That's, that's a lot. And how we navigate this stuff with all of that volume and teach our loved ones and our children and our grandchildren to navigate that is quite... It's quite a lot. I didn't grow up with that volume. We had four channels and the internet, age 22. And I sometimes think it was simpler. There wasn't as much information out there to tell you alternatives, and we do have to be discriminating. So how can we spot that we might be letting things lie in this age where we are more likely than ever to be a producing a truth we can live with and a whole list of you must for everyone else? I read this week that there are four things we particularly like to lie to ourselves about, and I thought this might be helpful. The first one, things we need to change about our own lives, things that might disturb our own self-image, things we badly want but can't have, and things we are angry with others about but don't dare to express. So here are some good indicators for you. Is it always someone or something else who needs to change and never you? Are you fixed on your version of yourself, the positives and the negatives, or are you open to being wrong about that? How good are you at handling, saying, and reconciling to no in your life? Sometimes it's a no. You want it, but you can't have it. It's a no. And what aren't you saying? Back to the first clip, it doesn't mean you should just say whatever you want without care or consequence. That's just not kind. But know it's there, own it's there, and let's work out our silences. I hold more silence that I don't confront than lack things I want to confront. And I'm getting better at using my voice, but um, habits of a lifetime are quite hard to break. And then we must not become someone who swings so far the other way that we never hold our peace about anything. So do we stay silent or speak when we see or recognize an untruth? We actually live in such an age of truth being a product that if you challenge what is being produced by anyone, it can really be a grave sin. It leaves us all in this quite precarious position with one another because it can be really risky to speak out against people's common narratives. So who do we believe in the midst of all of this? I'm more inclined than ever to look on both sides of the fence, to listen to collective wisdom, but then to listen equally to those who seek to live with an intent to see behind the collective curtain, the most curious, the seekers, the pioneers, the first to ask the questions. So is my, lead, my Jesus leading me up the garden path? Am I or is Q taking you away from the truth? 
which means to deceive someone. Leading up the garden path means this, to deceive someone, to cause someone to go, think, or proceed wrongly. That question can keep me up at night. Honestly, it can. Honestly, it can. And then I remember this, that there's no smoke and mirrors here. You're getting raw, real, and honest today, honest questions without being certain of all the answers. And when did that become something that's not a very good idea indeed? I think we would all acknowledge that we can easily prefer ours or others' perception of certainty, our own produced truths, because it feels better. And we often want something far less demanding on us because it allows us to keep our you must for others. So what about absolute truth? Most people who hold to the idea that there's only one way of seeing things usually believe they are in possession of the one way of seeing things. And that seems very, very convenient to me. We are not more credible the more dogmatic we get. We are less. We're just more entrenched. That's how to be blinded behind the walls of your own making. And truth, don't you find, is often so polarizing that there's opposites and big groups who think opposite things. And I used to think the middle was a problem, and now I don't know. If I'm awake in the middle, looking at all sides, awake and asking questions, not abdicating my responsibility to engage, I might be okay. And the notion of Jesus as absolute truth, well, I'm still thinking about that one. Did he know in the first century all that would follow 2,000 years later, and then somehow in a few short years, cover every topic under the sun in all that he said to a first century audience? How does that sound? And what about now? How does Jesus speak to us now? What does Jesus think about the eco-warriors, the mini-budget, the Russians and Ukraine? Some of you believe you must think what you think. How wise is that? Truth as a weapon is nearly always aligned with power and politics. What you believe and what is true is not necessarily the same, even if your Jesus said it to you. Truth has its time and place. So how do we find relevance in such a crowded marketplace of truth? For me, it's by not being so adamant that we've found it or can produce it in a way that makes people feel good, but by saying that we are genuinely seekers of it, humble enough to not claim to have the monopoly of it, but to invite people to be seekers with us. We have been given some truth. We have found some truth. We have deconstructed a dependent gospel and now have an agency to say we can play our part in the process of partnering with the divine. And we have said very, very little, you must, for a long time, possibly as a counterbalance to years when there was a lot potentially. But we seek every week to convince you that you must ask questions, to live life conscious and awake to what you believe. This is not letting it lie. So how about with me, you become a truth seeker, not a truth clinger, and perhaps in that, truth will find us. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>